HR professionals, business owners, and operations at all levels are struggling to figure out what needs to change. Our system has been shocked, practices have been questioned, and conversations are finally happening. We all know there has been a huge shift in what people want. Inclusion and diversity are common phrases, but often misunderstood. Generations are coming together more than ever on what's important. Mental health has been brought to the forefront of everyone's mind. Let's humanize these conversations. Let's talk about what's important for employees to be successful in life and at their job, and how companies can create an environment to allow them to do both. Because successful people will make up a successful workforce. I'm Leanne Lovely. Let's get this conversation started. Dottie Posto, CEO and founder of In Plain Sight, a leadership consulting and coaching firm. How often in your organization do you think people are holding back what they really think or agreeing with a project or an idea when they really don't agree? They're not saying what they really think. They're not saying what they really want to say, generally out of fear or out of loyalty. Yet outside the room, they agree with a person, they discount an idea, they discredit a leader or demean a team member. This is what Dottie calls the curse of cordial hypocrisy. It robs companies of creativity, productivity, and ultimately profits. Dottie specializes in guiding leaders and teams in building trust, cultivating healthy debate, and ultimately establishing a culture of accountability and outstanding results. In addition, Dottie specializes in coaching those leaders or team members who are, quite frankly, a real jerk. In other words, when your MVP is an ASS, These folks who rob your organization of innovation, engagement, opportunity, and ultimately revenue. Dottie guides these leaders to become the leader everyone wants to work with. Welcome, Dottie. I am so excited to have you join me today. I'm excited to be here. I think it's going to be fun. Yes. So why don't you start off by telling the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. I am a leadership consultant and coach. And what I tell people is, you know, when you have that person in your office, either usually leader, but sometimes, you know, one of those office members who's just a jerk, you know, I know that all too well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I specialize, I work with all sorts of leaders and teams and do leadership development and team development, but I do specialize with the leaders who've gotten does not play well with others a few too many times on their report card. Uh, a friend of mine, Pat, uh, helped me uh, coin the the tagline for my business as when your MVP is an ASS. That's where I come in and help that leader become the leader everyone wants to work for. That's awesome because there are some really brilliant people out there that just don't get it. That yes, that they they're great at their job, but when it comes to actually leading the team or communicating or having emotional intelligence, it's just not it's just not what it's just yeah. not their and strong I, point. Yeah, I like to call it emotional fluency. Okay, I haven't heard that. Yeah, that, that 
Yeah, it's where, you know, under being able to be fluent, first of all, with all your own emotions, and then to be able to, I think the intelligence comes, you know, knowing there's a certain level of being intelligent, I can be intelligent about something, but not fluent. Mm -hmm. And being fluent, emotional fluency is being able to ride all of the waves, experience all of them without getting caught up in them. I mean, emotions are literally a vibration in our body. And too many people try to hold anything that they might refer to as negative. I call it constrictive. They try to hold it down like a beach ball underwater and it's going to pop up at some point. That's a really good analysis. Absolutely. And, and I, I totally agree because when we, um, even as children for a very long time, and, and this is changing, um, very much changing, but even as children, many people grew up with the idea that it's okay to laugh. It's okay to have fun. But if you're going to cry or if you're mad, go to your room. Okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it goes somewhere else or right. it's not, or shh, don't, you know, you're going to upset daddy or you're going to, you know. Right. Right. It, and that's that's not okay. Like we need to understand that all emotion yes. is normal. All emotion is okay. It's how we process and how we deal with that and that we're not allowed to, you know, go and punch somebody in the face if we're feeling angry. That's not healthy. But that you need to you need to take the moment to process that information because when you start laughing, people don't go, oh, go to your room. Most people are like, oh, I'm going to laugh along with you. Unless you're in school, well, right. you know, the class clown was also, you know, the, the person who, you know, personalities have been damped down for so long that I don't, that I think so many people don't really know who they are at their core. That's yes. Yeah, and that's a lot of what I do is I help, I help people come back to who they are at their core. No one wakes up in the morning going, I'm going to be an asshole today. <laughs> I'm sorry, but. Well, maybe somebody does, but they don't, they would never admit that that's the kind of person I, they want to be. I know, but I kind of doubt it. I, I, I kind of doubt they're like, I am just going to go in and be the, I'm going to be the asshole of the, of the, you know, that's my job is to be, you know, and I think some people say it's my job to, to, you know, they've, they've even learned from previous mentors that they had to lead in a very command and control and, and demeaning and degrading and, and aggressive that they had to be that you know, come out with your, with your gloves on kind of leader. And it's just not necessary. You can inspire, you can be firm, you can hold people accountable mm -hmm. from a place of motivation and inspiration and, and firmness. And a, if you've got the base, if you've got the base and the foundation to that, that's been built on. So let's talk about that. Okay. So, I mean, you're, you obviously you're a coach and you're a coach, you're a consultant, you work with organizations. So you are brought in obvious, and I'm going to guess that typically the person who is considered the ASS at the organization is not always the person who's engaging you. Correct. It's usually going to be a board of directors or it's going to be a, you know, somebody who's either equal to them or above them, who's going to say, hey, mm -hmm. this person's highly intelligent, highly, we want them at our company. Oh. However, Dottie, what do we do? How do you go about and where do you begin this work? Where we begin, if it's possible, I'll do a 360, I'll have them do a 360 assessment, or if they've had one recently, 
to just at least get the perspective of their leader, get the perspective of any subordinates and get their perspective, their own perspective on what's happening. And we really go in and start to look at where are their gifts and talents? Where are they spending their energy? What's what's amplifying their energy and what's draining their energy? And are they fully aware of that? Because oftentimes they're engaged in activities that drain their energy and they don't realize it or engaged in activities that are just not in their unique ability. They're not in their core talents. And when you do that, you have to know that they're out of alignment so that you can resource yourself ahead of time to do those things and then also have time to recover and re-energize afterwards. So that's a big first step, getting that, that assessment and, and kind of gauging where they are in the self-awareness, where do they really see and understand the impact that their, their actions are having. We don't go directly and focus on, okay, let's go and try and change those behaviors. Because if somebody just tries to white knuckle their way through changing behaviors, or if they're just sent to training, you know, I always call it the um, charm school, you know, they're sent to communications training and emotional intelligence training. And if it doesn't come back to working on what's going through your brain? Are you really aware of all the thoughts going through your brain, which none of us are because there's 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day, but getting them to a point of that self-awareness of what's going on in my head and how is that making me feel? Because oftentimes there's this baseline or this general sense of annoyance, irritation, frustration, and we need to figure out, they think it's coming from the people outside of them and it's not at all. It's all coming from their thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so it's trying to help them make those connections so that they can choose different behaviors because just, you know, because if you can start to feel like I'm starting to get annoyed, where's that coming from? Mm -hmm. I can feel the annoyance, getting that level of awareness where I have that, that um, agency and choice. Mm -hmm. So we take them from that uh, deep awareness of first of all, where, where are my gifts and talents and where is my energy going? And what's, what is, am I aware of the impact that I'm having to start to really come into what, what is happening with what's going on in my head and how is that impacting and helping them see it's not everything out there because that's generally what most people think it's them. It's not me. They're overreacting or whatever. And as you're saying that, you know, I'm, like again, you know, the million thoughts that go through all of our heads, right? As you're saying this, like I, I have these like situations or even even like and my audience, I, I go back to like my husband comes home and he tells me all these stories about like what's happening at his office or what's happening or not his office, but his his employ employer or whatever. And and and, and I I try to become more self aware, especially when I'm around my five year olds, right? So because as a parent it, it's very easy to get slipped into this, like, why isn't she doing what I'm telling her to do? And then you can feel the stress rise up in you. And then that tone happens in my voice. And my daughter, like, knows when that happens. And then she just pokes the bear. And she's just like, ooh, mommy's upset. Like, and so then she just digs in and she's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And I'm like, but you have to do it. <laughs> like, why aren't you listening to and it just and it just snowballs into like me all of a sudden raising my voice my husband looking at me going she's not going to react to you yelling at her you know that she doesn't she thinks it's funny and it's like 
Okay. And so I've, I have personally, you know, tried to become more self-aware, keeping my voice regulated, understanding when I can feel my blood pressure start to go up. And we, we as people, it's much easier to see it happen in somebody else. But it's really hard to recognize, you know, because I'll look at my husband and go, is it happening to me? Am I starting to, is my voice going up? Like, and and I'll do the same to him. Like, okay, you're getting annoyed. I'm going to take over. You go, I don't know, outside and run around the block or something before you like have a heart attack because you're so, like I can see it in your shoulder. And when you're at a job, which you know, for me and, and you, we work remotely, we work, you know, we're independents, we're, so I don't have to watch it. So I, I listen to my husband's stories where he'll come home and be like, oh, you should have seen so-and-so today. You could just see in his walk, you know, and he's like, so I didn't talk to him because I knew that if I did, it would be an immediate explosion of just blah, 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 blah. And it's like, exactly. And so many people are you get a, you get a situation where if if you have a leader that that is their modus operandi that's their that's the mode they operate in on a consistent basis they do exactly what your husband did they avoid them right or they please them they agree with them it's what i call the curse of cordial hypocrisy they please them they say yes they agree and outside the room they're like that's a bunch of garbage. That'll never fly. That person's a jerk, you know, and that's all happening outside the room and inside the room. They're like, mm-hmm, yeah, ooh, great idea, Joe. That's a Jane. That's a really good idea. I think we should do that. And outside the room, they're like, that'll never fly. We've done that before and it failed. Oh my God. Duh. Right. And then no progress is ever made. And then you get no creativity. You get productivity goes down the tubes because half the time, and if you've got a great, if you've got a a remote workforce, even several, a few days a week, how much time are they spending on teams behind the scenes, bitching and complaining, you know, talking about other people, talking about all the challenges and they're not productive. You're losing productivity. You're losing creativity. You're losing innovation. You're going to hit risks that nobody wanted to bring up because they were too afraid that something, you know, that something was going to, somebody was going to fly off the handle. I'm not saying anything. And no one wants to give feedback for the same reason. Right. It's not my job. Right. And if I'm it's, not, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to get, they're too afraid. They're either too afraid or they're too loyal. They've either worked with that person for so long that it's like, oh, you know, they're going through a hard time, or, but you know, and everybody if, is. And if you're a subordinate to that person, which is usually the case, you can't call the person out because you risk being fired or reprimanded or so this cycle will continue to which is why high turnover in people who have managers like that because they either agree constantly and become the yes person yep or they do stand up and they say something and that manager goes well I don't need this stress And they just get rid of the person because they think that person is the problem. Yeah. And that, that very well can happen. This is why one of the, one of the pillars of what we do in organizations like this, because 
oftentimes it isn't just this one leader. So that's why I like pairing the individual coaching with some team development, Mm -hmm. whether that's, you know, the CEO and a senior senior leadership team or a senior leader and their team, because building a culture of feedback is so important, but you can't have that if you don't have the underlying trust. And if you don't have that opportunity, the opposite of the cordial hypocrisy, the healthy opposite of that is healthy debate. Can we have an argument about the ideas without getting personal, without being aggressive? And 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 even maybe our voices get loud, but it's passion about the idea and it's passion about the experience and it's making sure that what we're doing is right for the company. You can, you know, getting to that passionate level of debate so that you can have a place where the subordinate can go to a person and go, you know what? What just happened in that room? You know, you don't call them out right in the middle of the meeting. And some some organizations get to that level where it's like, well, we need a timeout here. What just happened really, I think, is hurting people in the room. You know, and there's organizations that have that level. But even if you could, even if you can build the culture to the point of being able to have a subordinate go to their boss afterwards and say, here's what I saw happen and here's the impact that I saw on the team and here's the impact that it had on me. And I think this is going to be destructive over time. Have you seen organization and, and you know, this in my head, I'm like, that would be so amazing to work in an organization in which you had that level of trust with your manager as well as your subordinates. And I have, I've had the opportunity to work with, with people who um, reported to me and I, and, and, and every time I would say, I am not like, I, I, I'm not a butterfly. You don't have to, you know, handle me in a way. And if I ever say something, if I ever do something, if I ever make you feel uncomfortable in any way ever, you just need to come out with it. Just plain and simple. I didn't like this. We'll talk about it. And most likely, if if it's, you know, if I made you feel uncomfortable, I'm going to apologize because it, it there's there's not going to be a debate about it because it's about your feelings. You felt a certain way. And then I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I made you feel that way. Let's figure out how we can rectify that situation so that you don't feel that way again doesn't mean that I was necessarily wrong in that situation. However, yeah, I think the language is really, you have to be really careful with that language because our feelings come from our thoughts. Right. And so if I'm doing something, if a behavior I'm doing is having a negative effect, yes. If it's hurting people, yes. I want to know that that negative impact is there. Right. And we have to, I think there's people, it's a gray area in between because people can take it, you know, well, I can't make you feel anything because really our thoughts create our feelings. However, there are things that we do and say that are, are just out of line and that are just rude and, and are from a place of, of. what is the word? I can't even think of the word where it's, it's their, their meaning harm, you know? And, and, you know, it's like the, the oath, the Hippocratic oath, do no, you know, first do no harm. Right. You know, as long as you're not intentionally harming and sometimes we unintentionally harm people with what we say and what we do. Right. And And we can't just pass that off as it's our thoughts. 
And some people have a pattern of thinking that everything they see, they have this um, confirmation bias that everything they see is against them. Yes. And, and you're right. And I, I always, um, um, what am I trying to say? You know, situations um, or, or perception is reality. That So the way that people perceive a situation that is the reality to them. And the the reality of, of each situation is, yes, everybody's feelings of the difference. That That's their own. I mean, we could have five people sitting in a room and all walk out feeling a completely different way. I can't control people's feelings. However, if I'm, if I am doing an action, let's say we'll use something really, really stupid as an example, but we're going to use it to really dumb this down. If I have a manager who's, let's say, an old school manager, because I'm going to use an example, I'm going to kind of change the situation here a little bit. Um, I I had a shirt that was, to me, being my age at that time, I was in my 20s. I didn't believe that it was that low of a cut shirt, okay? But I had a much older manager when I was in my 20s, and he pulled me aside basically said it's inappropriate for the work setting. And I'm like, okay, but it's not that low cut. They they had a special dress code and everything else. And his idea was you're making people feel uncomfortable with a shirt that is cut that low in the work environment. And I thought, how could I be making people feel uncomfortable by wearing this type? Now, perception is reality. If he felt uncomfortable because he didn't feel that it was business appropriate or business attire appropriate perception is reality to him he was my boss so he basically and very tactfully said and you know I didn't find it an appropriate conversation it was you know people feel a little uncomfortable with what you're wearing okay that was a learning experience for me when I was in my 20s don't wear and and again it's not like I had my breast hanging out but um, and so I've always made you know certain that if there are situations in which, um, something that I'm doing, I would so much prefer that somebody just walk up to me and say, here's what, what your action was. This is how I perceived it. And therefore I feel this way. Okay, perfect. Let's lay all of our feelings out there. I, I then think have... that's a great way to put it. Right. This is what I perceive is, this is my perception of that action or that, those Cor- words. Because I very well did, I had no intent of walking into that office that day with a shirt that, I mean, that was not my intent at all. In fact, I thought, wow, I look really great. I look really professional. That was my intent. And that's how I perceived myself. And three other people said, well, you look great. Because again, perception is reality. But until we are told differently, our own perception cannot change. Until we step into somebody else's shoes and find out that there are alternative perceptions equaling then alternative feelings about it. Yeah. And that's where it gets to be such a sticky situation because 
you have no idea. And some of those things we can change. I mean, if somebody says red makes me feel bad, well, you can't, you can't avoid wearing red at all. You know, that's, it's just one of those things that unfortunately you can't accommodate all situations, but we can attempt to eliminate. Yeah. Let me give you a perfect example of that. I, um, I, I come from a family of seven. I have seven siblings. So there's eight kids and my two parents, my parents are gone now, but I grew up in a family of 10 people and it was loud. Everybody was loud. Most everybody. And my husband even says, yes, you come from the loud family. And so oftentimes when I'm speaking, and even now I may have been, and I purposely earlier spoke much louder, but there's times where I start speaking like this and you can probably hear me just fine. And this is lower than my normal volume. And it's taken me, I still sometimes have to like recalibrate, recalibrate. People would get offended and think I was yelling at them when I wasn't. It was just my natural voice. And for some people, for some leaders, they might just say, well, that's just who I am. Mm. It takes time and practice. I had a, a, a peer on at the time who would sit next to me and under the table, he would just do this, which meant bring down the volume. Because I was, you know, part of it would be if I was getting excited and people would take it as I was getting angry. I'm like, I'm almost never angry, (laughs) but it's just, it's that habit that you, you you don't, I don't even hear it all the time because it was a habit that I grew up with that I think is just a part of who I am. And it's not, it's a habit. It's not a great habit. It's a habit. Have you ever been around a Greek family? (laughs) my my uh my dad married a, a greek woman okay so i think part of the reason i'm losing my hearing or i'm having trouble with my hearing is because in our family you know holidays by the end we'd all practically be losing our voice because it was a fight to be heard exactly. now my we go to a restaurant and i and i do really have problems with my hearing in um background noise and that's it's actually a lot more common than um than I knew when you're at a networking meeting or you're at a restaurant that has you know music playing and my husband does this all to me all the time he'll look at me and go why are you screaming at me and I'm like what are you talking about and he goes you're yelling and I'm like oh I am and I realize it's because there's music playing in the restaurant or there's people talking and I can't hear him so I assume it's loud. So I start yelling <laughs> across the table at him. Exactly. Exactly. And these are just, you know, silly examples. And it's the same thing with a leader who is triggered by something, you know, that gets defensive and whatever their defense mechanism is that they probably learned when they were seven mm-hmm. and they just don't realize it. You know, it was it was whatever habit that that they developed to, to become, to be safe, to be heard, to be loved, to belong to, you know, all of these things. And they're just patterns and habits that they, it's like water to the fish. They don't even know it's there. It is so ingrained. And to be able to, to be able to put 
some distance between that behavior and to get get somebody who they trust who can give them some kind of a sign, some kind of a thing, or even afterwards to say it happened again. Right. Or they could, you know, they could have a a little facial, they'll put their finger on their cheek or, you know, maybe tap their chin or just something that says it's happening again. Because bringing that level of awareness, giving somebody feedback after the fact is fine. You know, then if you do that enough, they're going to start to go, oh yeah, I can kind of see that. Then you want to pull it back further so that as they're doing it, they can realize and they can drop the voice, they can do whatever, and they can shift, see if they can shift. They can at least recognize it while they're doing it and they might not be able to shift. The next step is to pull it back where they recognize it in the moment and they're able to make the shift in the moment. The, the, the real, you know, getting to the real point of mastery is where you can start to feel, well, this, there's two, two other levels. One is you start to feel the emotion that triggers that action and you can, you can feel it coming and you might not be able to stop it, but you can start to feel. And, and that's why helping people to actually feel the vibrations in their body for all the different emotions. What does anger feel like? What was, what does annoyance feel like? What does irritation feel like? And all these have a slightly different vibration in our body mm -hmm. and getting people to actually become in tune with that. And I actually have an exercise, a, a, a tool that I use from a coaching program that I went through called the tears of emotions and getting people to actually purposefully feel all these different emotions and start to feel what does it feel like in their body? And where do I, do I feel you know, do I feel something in my throat? Do I feel something in my gut? Do I feel something in the, the pit of my stomach or in my lower back? And when you can start to feel that, and sometimes you might not be able to stop it, you might still, you know, spew some garbage or, you know, start to turn red and irritated or shut down. You've got the other ones that, that just lean back and shut down. Mm -hmm. But getting to the point of then being able to say, here's how I want to intentionally come into this. You know, I know that, that, you know, in these kinds of situations, I tend to blah, blah, blah. I tend to, you know, raise my voice. I tend to shut down the conversation. I tend to uh, um, maybe cut, cut people off and interrupt and try to go into it more intentionally. But the more they can use their thoughts to actually create a feeling of, I'm going to be open. I am going to be, uh, you know, and it, it's interesting. We, we were at an event together and I loved how the speaker put it being fertile ground, mm -hmm. you know, how can that's one thing is that, that I will use because active listening is one thing being fertile ground for as a listener is a whole nother level. Correct. That, and, and I agree with that because, um, and here's with everything that you just said, like, as you were saying, like, knowing your body's reaction, I, I early on, um, I, my listeners know my mental health history, I struggled with anger management. And so very early on in my, in my age, my journey, um, I was taught how to understand because I used to get angry to the point of seeing red to the point where sometimes I wouldn't remember what I did after I hit that level where it would be like, okay, did I just do, what did I just do? Um, 
And that has to do with my bipolar disorder. Um, so from a very early, when I started going through, I went through like three years of like intensive anger management. Um, again, tied to bipolar. It's not uncommon that people who have mental health also have, you know, other avenues. Anyways, point being is that I can feel my entire, I mean, that physical change that there's with emotion, you know, when you, when you laugh to the point of when you're crying, you can feel your body usually get lighter. You can feel those endorphins being released. When you get angry, it's the same physiological change happening where you can feel that bubbling up to the point of, you know, and I, I can feel my whole entire face start to get red. I can feel the blood moving into, in, you know, into my head. I can feel my hands start to shake. And that hasn't, it hasn't happened in so long. I haven't been that angry because I'm able to stop it where I'm actually able to go, okay, we need to breathe. We need to evaluate that situation. We need to, but having that heightened awareness of your emotions, exactly. you, you, you're able to actually control, take a step back, breathe or whatever it is that you do in order to kind of control that and then go, okay, yeah. let me assess the situation. Like, should I be this angry? Should I be this emotional? Should I be? Um, and sometimes it, it is, it, it, especially sadness, I think is one of the ones that kind of, it's hard to control that. Because usually, yeah. you know, if there's a death in the family, those types of things are are probably well, the most difficult. But And I think the word control is very appropriate and yet very cautionary. Yeah. And the reason I say that is that if you're in a situation where that emotion isn't appropriate, and oftentimes we want to distinguish between am I feeling my emotion? Am I allowing the emotion, which is a vibration in our body, Mm -hmm. or am I expressing it? Those are two very different things. Right. To to actually raise your voice, to pound your fist on the table, to scream, to cry, to, to whatever it is, that is the expression, that is a performative expression of that emotion. The emotion is actually a a vibration in our body and Mm -hmm. we can allow it. And regardless, if, if sometimes you need to have a, a physical release of an emotion, it might not be in that moment. I always recommend to people make a promise to yourself that at five o'clock when you get home or six o'clock, whatever, when you're in a space where you can, you promise yourself that you're going to feel it. Right. And maybe in that moment, you don't get as angry as you thought you might have been. And we don't want to just stuff them down because again, it's like trying to hold the beach ball underwater. Right. Eventually it's going to pop up. Right. People end up with strokes, heart attacks, uh, you know, different internal diseases, cancer, all sorts of things because we've stuffed our emotions down for so long. Right. And you're right. Control is not the right. Well, it is. I mean, it's control. You want, you may want to control the situation. So I think it can be appropriate. I want to control my reaction because in the moment I don't want to react. So I think control is a great word. I just don't want people to interpret that as I have to control it and then close the door on it. Like I'm pushing, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to close the door and leave it there. That's how I control it. That's different. Yeah. No, not shoving it in a closet to never be, you know, seen again, but 
It's it's what's appropriate in the moment. What's going right. to actually move the conversation forward? What is going to get us the goal we're looking for? And maybe for some people, it might be, you know what? something I'm triggered in this and I am so angry. I cannot have this conversation right now. Give me 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Let me go. I need to go take a walk. I need to go think about this. I need to, and really what they need is they need to go allow the emotion for a while. Right. And whatever that looks like. A lot of people will go and say, I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to go for a walk. And all they're doing again is avoiding the emotion. I'm going to go take a baseball bat to your car. <laughs> that, no, I'm sorry. That is an unhealthy expression. Go scream in a pillow. <laughs> Or I always, this is one way I recommend people, if you do feel like you can't, like one of you have, it is bubbling up so hard and you can't allow it is take a plastic baseball bat to your bed. Yeah. You, you know, know, those kids baseball bats, take right. that to the bed. Mine, but was, then, mine was the yeah. screaming in, in a pillow, just laying yeah. down and just screaming at the top of my lungs. And it was like, okay, now yeah. I feel great. Like that's, yeah. that's all I needed to do. I just needed to release whatever that was that like bubbled up in me and and now I'm fine like and it's different for everybody like yeah. you know and yep. sometimes yep. it was I need to go and cry for a second yes. don't tell me that this is a situation in which I don't need to cry there's no reason to feel it I just need to feel it you know and now that we are finally getting to a point in society where it's like oh it's okay to feel emotion like I'm not ashamed to be like, yep, I give me 10 minutes. I'm going to go feel what I need to feel. I'm going to go, I don't know, be pissed off at this situation for 10 minutes and then clean my face up and I'll be right back. And then we can have dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because when our emotions are so heightened like that, we are in fight, flight or freeze. Yep. And when we're in fight, flight or freeze, our prefrontal cortex goes offline. We literally do not have access to our thinking, planning, strategizing. We can't be logical we abs because all the brain, all of the blood comes out of that part of our brain, that fight, flight, or freeze. It goes to the big muscle group so that we can run or defend. And our body goes into defend because we literally think that we're going to die. Our brain, our pr primitive brain is literally thinking that we're going to die. Interesting. It, it, our primitive brain and our prefrontal cortex, they've evolved differently. And so we have to understand that this is all natural. Right. It is natural for you to get pissed off because you think that this person, like there's your body, your brain, that primitive part of your brain thinks you're actually, you know, it's like get back in the cave, you know, or go fight the lot, you know, because you're going to die. Right. We are trying right. to save humanity here. That's what your that's what your permanent brain is thinking. We are trying to save you. <laughs> wow. That's and that it it makes it makes sense because every other creature, every other mammal out there has that innate instinctual reaction to either run or fight. Whereas or freeze. Did you ever or see freeze. a bird hit a window and then it lays on the ground for a while and you think it's dead? Oh, yeah. I've picked them up before and like, oh, I should get rid of this. And, and then, then all they of go sudden, like, right. You know, and then you're like, oh, like mad. oh, my God. And then they this fly off. Yes. They're totally fine. Right. You know, it happens in the, in the, 
in the in the you know out on the the what the plains whatever out in you know where an animal will play dead because then they might be left alone. Right. I had a hawk hit my my front door. Um, I mean, a huge, huge hawk. It sounded like somebody was trying to break into my house. And um, and then it sat for eight hours, eight hours um, in our neighborhood. And, and my neighbors were like, we couldn't understand why this hawk wouldn't leave. And I'm like, how long did it sit in your yard? They're like, for like four hours. And I'm like, oh, my God, because it hit so hard that it it couldn't move it just and it was beautiful i mean this i've oh, never wow. seen one so because it was i mean this thing was he, i'm making hand gestures like my audience can see me but um yeah that's uh and so it's it's goes to show that you know animals and we are an animal and but yeah. because we're intelligent we think that that we're beyond yeah. our our you know nature which is not true no. So that part of our brain is still there. We right. just have to, you know, and my, the coach that I went through training with says, it's like a two-year-old with a knife. Right. <laughs> you know, and I always call it a two-year-old with a red crayon in a white room. Yeah. Yeah. You know, fun times. And it's like, you can, you can allow them to be there. Somebody else talks about it as you can allow that to be there. You can allow that part of you to be there. Just don't leave them in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. Put them in the back seat saying, yeah, you can come along anxiety, depression, you know, I gotcha. You know, I understand you're here today. You're here along with me. I'm going to carry you around like a heavy purse or whatever it is, you know, but don't let them, don't put them in the driver's seat. How do we not allow them to get into the driver's seat? Right. So you, um, and I want to cover this really quick because we're coming to time already and geez, but you use a triple, um, the triple A foundation, authenticity, accountability and action how do you i mean and we've talked quite a bit about you know the different ways that that you work with these individuals how how does that play a role so authenticity this i i mean probably 15 years ago i even came up i I mean when i what i talked about earlier who we are at our core Mm -hmm. helping people come back to who they are at their core what are your preferences? What are your gifts? What are your talents? And operating from that, starting to know about what that part of that, what that developed self is that you developed around it, those habits and patterns that served you as a five-year-old, that served you as a teenager, that served you as a young adult, that just no longer serve you. And helping to come to that awareness. So that to me is the authenticity piece. Okay. The accountability piece is then becoming responsible is how can I hold myself responsible and accountable for being that person and for, for being aware of that developed self and being aware of what I, what I have agency over getting agency over those habits and patterns that have ruled our life for so long, my life, anyone's life that have ruled our life for so long And then building, I use the five dysfunctions of a team often. So accountability from a team perspective has to do with building trust, healthy debate and commitment in that order to get to that point of accountability. Only then can we actually start to look at, okay, what actions are we going to do differently? Yes. And you walked through all of those. Yeah. And we can't just focus on action because then we're just trying to white knuckle. And like I said, the other piece of it is our thoughts and our feelings drive our actions. Right. Our thoughts drive our feelings, our feelings drive our actions. 
you know, they'll tell you that in sales, everything is, a, is an emotional sale. We only buy something because of how we think it's going to make us feel. Right. And we feel that way because how we think about it, right. because you're going to buy something for a very different reason than I'm going to buy it. Absolutely. And that's, and, and I love the study. Obviously you, you know, I love the study of people The the reason I have this podcast, the reason I go into the reason I have a sales business is because everybody is unique. Everybody has unique needs, but there is a product out there that people will buy all for their own selfish reason. Um, and to solve the problem and are driven by their own selfish, and that's not a bad thing, by their own selfish desire to solve the problem. And if it's a personal thing, the way that it makes them feel at the end of the day, yeah. you know, so we are coming to time and I want to ask you the question of the season. Um, this season it is, um, what do you think will go down in the history books of what the world has experienced over the last three years? You know, when I first looked at this question, the thing, you know, it, when you look at three years, obviously COVID is such a huge part of that. And it would be very interesting to, you know, I heard recently about some people who worked on COVID five years before it hit the U.S. Mm-hmm. and and was were a part of some research, research and things and the research got shut down. And so they ended up working for a company out of China because they could see what was coming that that's kind of like the, what seems to be like the no brainer answer mm-hmm. is COVID when you look back the last three years. And I don't think we're far enough into it. And I think this whole, the whole situation between Palestine and Israel is probably a potential for making the history books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not close enough to it. I, I don't know enough about it and where things are going to, what I'm hearing about it in terms of how long it's going to last. I think if we look from here back, COVID is obviously one of the big things. Right. I think go, from here going forward is potentially this, you know, the situation with the, the Ukraine and, and uh, uh, Russia and then Palestine and Israel. And it's, it's amazing how, um, how much this world has changed in such a short period of time. Yes. What we, yeah. what, if, you know, had somebody asked me four years ago what the world would have looked like, there is no possible way that anybody could have predicted the amount of things that have happened in such a short period of time with, you know, a world shutdown with, you know, another uprising. I mean, these are just moments in history repeating themselves, but another uprising with, you know, riots in the street, um, you know, race wars, um, another possible, I mean, with everything happening, is this going to turn into a world war depending on, um, so yeah, yeah, I mean it's it's such such a strange time in history that so many things are being squashed um into a very short time span that it's um that it's wildly yeah. interesting. So if yeah. somebody wanted to reach out to you, um how would they go about doing that? My website is inplainsightinc.com or they can email me at dotty at inc, and it's 
plain, P-L-A-I-N, and site, S-I-G-H-T. So in plain's Dottie at D-O-T-T-Y, that is, not D-O-T-T-I-E, D-O-T-T-Y at inplainsightinc.com. Excellent. And that'll be in the show notes for anybody who is interested in reaching out to Dottie. Um, I'm sure that you can also find her on some social media platforms, but, um, you know, please feel free to reach out to her if you are looking um, for a coaching and consulting. If you have a uh, leader that is an ASS. <laughs> um, it was an awesome conversation, Dottie. I really appreciate you coming on um, and talking with me. It's been a, it's been a blast. Thanks for having me, Leanne. Thank you again for listening to Let's Talk HR. I appreciate your time and support. Without you, the audience, this would not be possible. So don't forget that if you enjoyed this episode, to follow us, like us, or share us. Have a wonderful day. 